0: Going to God for Wisdom, that's next on Abounding Grace. When you come up against those things that are hard to understand and hard to discern in life, when trials seem to overwhelm you and buffet your soul, when sorrows overwhelm you and take over, that's the time to ask for wisdom. That's the time to ask wisdom. It's not a time to ask for more knowledge. You don't need more knowledge. But that's the question that we ask. The question usually is phrased this way. Why?
1: This is amazing grace. Whether you're wondering whether it's a good idea to marry someone, move across the country, or even who to believe when we're given contradictory stories, we need the wisdom of God. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll be reminded there are times in life where we lack wisdom and wonder what to do or which way to go. It's at that time we should turn to God who will graciously give us wisdom. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in 1 Kings 4. Solomon is king. He's been given
0: incredible wisdom from God. When he was asked, he was told, ask whatever you want, he asked for wisdom. He wanted the the amount of knowledge and a depth of heart that he could oversee the nation in being well-pleasing to the Lord. And he would need it because he's going to face a lot of obstacles, a lot of setbacks, a lot of difficulties, a lot of difficult people. And soon he faced it right at the end of last chapter in chapter 3 when he had those two women, those two women come to him and say that this is my baby. And it's the section of the scriptures where we have the phrase, you might have heard the phrase, even unbelievers use this phrase, they speak of the wisdom of Solomon. And it's primarily from him when he says, bring me the sword, bring me a sword. And, and of course, he meant to use a literal sword to cut the baby in half, and that brought the truth to light. But we saw it in a spiritual way, how God, when God brings us to difficulties, that we come to the place where we would, bring me the sword. We need the sword, the word of God, to discern the issues in life, to find the right answers for life. And wisdom is very important. Jot this down in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. It says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she'll promote you. And she'll bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. And now none of us have been given the choices that Solomon was given. None of us have been told by God, whatever you want, I'm going to give to you. The Bible does say and does instruct us to ask God for wisdom. So before we jump into uh, our chapter today, hold your places in 1 Kings and let's go back to James chapter 1. Before you just dismiss yourself and say, well, you know, I'm not Solomon, I'm not a king, I, I don't have this lineage, I don't. David's not my dad, and, and God's never come to me and asked me what I want. Listen, the Bible tells us to ask for wisdom. That's a good thing to ask for. Notice with me in James chapter 1, In verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed by the wind. And let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, the context of James chapter 1, of course, is trials and, and working through trials in life. And anyone that has been in a trial knows that there are times where we lack wisdom on what to do, what not to do, which way to go, which way not to go, whether to turn to the left or to the right. Trials have a way of knocking us off our equilibrium. Trials have a way of bringing what once was so crystal clear into a deep fog. Or what I've seen in Colorado, and you've seen as well, when you're driving at night in a heavy uh, snowstorm and the reflection off the headlights, it's hard to see. You can't see too far ahead. And if you're a knucklehead like me at times where I put my bright lights on, forget about it. You can't see that. In California in the mornings, uh, growing up in Southern California, oftentimes there would be a deep fog that we needed to drive through. And in times of trials and in times of difficulty and in times of thick fog and in times of heavy snowfall when we're driving, we don't speed up. We do what? Slow down. If not at times, pull over and get out of the way and wait for it to pass. There's great wisdom in those decisions. But often in times of great trial, instead of slowing down, we might speed up. Instead of acknowledging in humility, that the circumstances are beyond our ability to make a decision and just admit it. I don't know what to do, Lord. You know, the fog can get so thick and the snow can fall so thick that, man, you begin to doubt the things that you never doubted before. You begin to wonder about God and you never wondered about God before. In the good times, we praise the Lord. that makes sense. Who would not want to praise the Lord? Some of you were so passionate in worship and song tonight because there's a season in your life where, man, things are well and things are good, and praise the Lord. There was some softer singing today or even no singing at all, or perhaps not even you've joined us online uh, because it's a heavy season of fog and trial, and you might sense this great shame or guilt for some of the doubts that you're having and how the trial has undermined your faith. And these are times not to speed up, but to slow down. When you come up against those things that are hard to understand and hard to discern in life, when trials seem to overwhelm you and buffet your soul, when sorrows overwhelm you and take over, that's the time to ask for wisdom. That's the time to ask wisdom. It's not a time to ask for more knowledge you don't need more knowledge but that's the question that we ask the question usually is phrased this way why why is this why now and that's a question of knowledge you're asking god to impart to you his knowledge because in some way if you we think in some way if we think we had the knowledge of god it would make the trial different maybe it would Maybe it wouldn't, but the Bible couldn't be clear on that matter, that God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, so that even if he were to answer that question, it still wouldn't be sufficient for the pain that you're feeling now. We don't ask for knowledge. We, although we do, we shouldn't ask for more knowledge in the midst of a trial. What should we ask for but wisdom? Wisdom is using the knowledge that we have. It's understanding how to approach life with God's understanding with the way he sees things and how to move through what God is obviously allowed into our life, what's going on in our life. You see, it's possible to know a lot and still not know how to use it. We typically refer to that, to someone like that as having a lot of head knowledge, head knowledge boy, they can give you all the scriptures and they can tell you all the right things, but they lack the personal ability to put everything that they know into practice. And I'm certain you have met people along the way, or perhaps there's even been a season in your life where, man, you know what to do, but man, you just don't know how to do it. You know what the Bible says, but how to apply it is absent. And at the same time, there's a desperation of how do I apply the truths of God? Someone said that knowledge is the ability to take something apart, but wisdom is the ability to put it back together. And how easy it is to take things apart and dissect them, but only God can put them back together. So ask for wisdom. You don't need God to come to you in a dream like Solomon and say, what do you want? Oh, oh I, I, Lord, I didn't know. Finally, you asked, what do I want? Let's see, uh, money, no. Uh, you know, what'd you do with Solomon? You know, Solomon asked for wisdom and you gave him everything else. So, yeah, God, I want wisdom. No, the Bible says if any of you lacks wisdom, how many of you lack wisdom? Everybody. If you didn't raise your hand, that's an unwise thing to do right there. <laughs> All of us lack wisdom. We need the wisdom of God. It's the principal thing the Bible says. Whenever we're faced with a trial or a hardship or even small or large or regular life, God is giving us an opportunity to mature, to grow. He's stretching our faith. I read once of an older woman, senior saint that was going through serious trials in her life. She had just survived a stroke and her husband was seriously ill at home. And in her prayer request, she asked that the church she attended pray, and I quote, that God would give me the wisdom so that I won't waste all of this. And we look at a situation that's overwhelming, and we're overwhelmed by it. But what God's saying for us to do is ask for wisdom. Walk in wisdom. He noticed at the end of verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, which is all of us, let him ask of God, which we then are as our response. Notice, who gives to all. He gives to all that ask. All that ask, he gives in a liberal way. He gives more than we've expected. He, in the New Living Translation, it puts it this way. If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. And he will gladly tell you and not resent you for asking. And that's God. God will give to anyone at any time in any circumstance, those that have a relationship with him, the wisdom that they need for the moment. And God won't chide you. He won't make fun of you. He won't look down on you. He won't rebuke you. He won't shame you. He won't guilt you. He will give you the wisdom you ask for. And you'll be able to take another step or take another breath or live another day with the confidence of the presence of the Lord. The condition, it says in verse 6, let him ask in faith. And isn't it often in trials that we're faithless or, you know, less faith than normal? But the promise of God is simply this, that even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. So when we ask, we come to Him with the very faith the Bible says that God has given to us. Not that we are so full of faith and so confident... But rather, we're humble and simple and coming to him in the faith that we can. Because if you ask of God for wisdom and you don't believe he's going to give it to you, he's going to make you very unstable. Because God is the very one that can help you. And if you don't believe he can help you, you're going to have a hard time believing that he's going to help you when he helps you. Yeah, go ahead and play that back. <laughs> Being unstable is uh, it's just a very scary place to be. You believe, you don't believe. You believe, you don't believe. You believe, don't believe, don't believe, don't believe. But you believe, but you don't believe. And before you know it, the, the faithlessness begins to overcome what little faith that you have. Ask in faith. I believe the very, I believe that if a person comes to God and asks him for wisdom, that that request is coming in faith. Otherwise, you would never ask God. How quick we run to our friends for, for, for help. How quick we run to books for help, how quick we run to even pastors or teachers for help. But the Bible says, ask God of wisdom and he'll give it to you. And ask in faith. It's unfortunate the way faith is being used today and how it's so been twisted. Uh, You know, a whole false system of doctrine I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, known as the faith movement, Uh, has so twisted the idea of positive confession and bossing God around. And it's not from the Lord. You know, there, there is, there, it, I want to be careful here, but I do think that there is a truth behind positive confession, but not the way it's been twisted, not the televangelist version, not the weird one that's centered on ourselves, but the kind that Jesus talked about that builds our faith and trust in him no matter what the circumstances. J- Jesus put it this way to us. He said in Mark nine twenty three, he said, if you can believe, all things are possible. So we're to ask and confess our weakness before the Lord and confess our lack of wisdom and we're to ask for it and God will answer that because doubt and worry, they're real. They're real for the believer and for the unbeliever alike. And, and yet they pose a very significant dilemma for you and me, followers of Christ. Worry is a great dilemma because worry and doubt fight against and disintegrate our trust in the holy righteous God. And they begin to build up in ourselves a God of our own making. We begin to trust someone or something, including ourselves, more than we trust God. That's worry. Not trusting the Lord and then thinking that our help will come from somewhere else. Worry and worry and fear upon fear slowly erodes and decays our trust in the Lord. And notice what he says here. You know, when it comes to the, to the lack of wisdom and doubting and faith in verse 6, here's the person that doubts. And totally, if you have an issue with worry or fear or doubting, you totally get this. The, the person that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed, driven and tossed by the wind. Double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Now, who wants to put that on a resume when you're looking for a job? I'm a very uh, worried, uh, ang- anxious person that is always driven by the wind. I'm just, I can never make a decision, and I just never know what's going to happen in my life. I'm incredibly unstable, but I would really like this job. <laughs> Nobody does, and, and we don't put that on, you know, we don't put that on on Facebook. We don't put that on Instagram. We don't put that. You know, I'm just super unstable today. Don't trust me. But when we come to God and we, faith, and, we, and we lack that faith and doubt, it's a very unstable way to live. And, and your life is driven and tossed. When Jesus offers you, just come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. A driven and tossed person is a stressed out person, uh, obviously worried, doubting, uh, perhaps trying to th- take things under control. Nothing is more uncertain unpredictable, and unstable than a storm-tossed wave. It heaves this way and that at the mercy of the howling wind. And sometimes the winds and the waves can get so big that they overturn these huge ships that were built to float on the ocean and were built to go through storms. And some of the greatest believers have been overcome by tossing and being driven by worries and fears and instability often as we're praying for wisdom as soon as the words leave our mouths our actions can easily betray our prayers we really didn't come in faith or expecting God to answer and therefore we're tossed and back and forth and and so let's just take a moment right now and for those of you that need to just ask God for wisdom right now just bow your head and just just ask God for wisdom. If you need it, just like the Bible said, if you don't need it, then ask God for wisdom when you're going to need it. Say, God, I don't need it right now. Well, maybe I do. I'm not sure. I'm driven in time. You know, so come, come and just say, Lord, uh, you, know, you don't have to repeat after me. I'm going to pray for myself. So, Lord, I, just, I know that I need a tremendous amount of wisdom, uh, and I, need, I, I have some knowledge, Lord, but even as we are praying uh, in Psalm 139, um, there's things you're going to still reveal to me, and you're still going to lead me, And so just obediently to you, according to your scriptures, just like Solomon did when he was asked, we obey the command in your scripture, God, and we ask you for your wisdom. Your wisdom in this decision, your wisdom in this situation, your wisdom in this note, your wisdom in this word that you would grant to us wisdom, the principal chief thing. And answer the prayers of those that are crying out to you right now, Lord. Answer them as they genuinely, sincerely ask you for the understanding and the largeness of heart that we need for this situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come back to me with now with to First Kings because now you're on the same level as Solomon. At this point, Solomon's not some distant person separated by thousands of years that had this special dream, but you too, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are given the same kind of wisdom that Solomon gave. And I would even say this it's a greater level of wisdom in this that God dwells in you. God didn't dwell in Solomon, he didn't experience the new covenant. He still looked forward to the coming of Messiah and lived that way, but not you and me. We look back at the cross. Jesus has died and risen again. All of the promises are true and amen in Jesus. And so because of that, the wisdom comes from within us in illuminating and understanding the scriptures or even a word of wisdom like the spiritual manifestations, the manifestations of the spirit that we've studied. God can give you wisdom for the moment. He can give you a word of knowledge just for the moment. And so now we're in the same place as Solomon. He's not so distant from us because we too need wisdom. And God gives it. And, and it was, it's, an, it's amazing how encouraging it is uh, for the kind of wisdom that so quickly Solomon used. Now, the kingdom is developing beginning in chapter 4. Uh, his, his, Solomon's wisdom is going to continue to be established. And it says in verse 1, So King, King Solomon was over all Israel, and these were his officials. And you're going to read all their names, if you'd like to, in front of the mirror when you go home. But Azariah, son of Zadok, the priest... Uh, yes, yes, sons of Jehoshaphat There's an easy one, Benaniah. Uh, verse 5, Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers. Zabud, if you moms looking for a name for your son, Zabud, the son of Nathan, a priest, king's friend. What a great way to be described when you want to be described. What's your name? My name is Zabud. What, you, what does it mean? I'm the king's friend. And what king is that? The king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a great, it's a great, I'm telling you, moms, it's a great opportunity for your kids to be evangelists. <laughs> They're going to be asking about their name all the time. But, but what a great, wouldn't you want to be known as the king's friend? Sometimes we think of being the king's friend for all the benefits of being with, by the king and all the royalty. You know, you look at uh, in England, all the royalty, and you go, oh, I'd like to be the king's friend, and, and probably for all the benefits that come. But, but here, he was close to Solomon, uh, he was the son of Nathan. A priest. He was the king's friend. I like that. I just have it circled and noted. It's just a neat way to be described. And so, verses one through six are these special leadership positions that has. Then, from verses seven through nineteen, and then even at the end, uh, twenty-seven through twenty-eight are different commissioners or governors. It says in verse seven. Um, Really, foreshadowing the practical work that's going to be done in the kingdom, like the deacons in the Book of Acts, in Acts chapter six, uh, they provided food for the king and his household. They made provision uh, one month of the year. These were their names: Ben Hur in the mountains of Ephraim, and they goes down and begins to list all those names. So, you get to verse 19, it says Geber the son of Uri in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. He was the only governor who was in the land. So, Solomon, in his wisdom, marks out 12 districts. They all have a responsibility every month to provide food for the for the kingdom. Um, they're spread out to collect taxes, to provide food, uh, to supervise soldiers. These are all the practical things as he's laying them out. But you'll notice uh, a careful study the 12 districts have nothing to do with the 12 tribes. Uh, it's just simply for the month, uh, simply for to share the burden across. The country And good leaders always choose those around them that are capable and equipped and then entrust them to areas of responsibility and serving. And that's the wisdom that Solomon is showing here. Then verse 20, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in this multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. So the nation's growing and prospering already. God wants us to see that under Solomon's reign. Uh, You have the population growing, you have peace reigning, people dwelling in relative safety and security. Uh, Verse 20 really shows that as they are eating and drinking and rejoicing and growing in multitude. And these are all fulfillments of God's promises. Everyone was happy, it's a glorious time of history. Uh, it happens to be under Solomon's reign, experiencing the tremendous blessings of God. And the nation really came to its highest uh, place under Solomon, uh, its best under the King Solomon. David laid the right foundations and did a lot of the hard work, uh, and now Solomon gets to walk in his footsteps and really stand on his shoulders. I think of, I think of, of the, the men that I've had the privilege of serving and the men that I've been, been around, and I, I, I'm always appreciative of them. Um, I may not always get to express it to them, but, but me being here uh, serving you today is of the privilege of really standing on other men's shoulders, uh, of having the privilege of sitting under my pastor, uh, Jeff Johnson, for, for eight years, and, and having that come from Pastor Chuck Smith and having Pastor Chuck Smith come from the heritage within the Foursquare denomination that he came through and the Foursquare denomination where he came from and all of the commenta- commentaries that we've been able. We stand, none of us serve God alone. And we would do well to make sure that we honor the generations that came before us.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace today with Pastor Ed Taylor. And you can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Here in the month of July, we picked out an excellent book from Warren Wiersbe. We think you'll benefit from It's called The Strategy of Satan. In it, Warren Wiersbe discusses basic biblical instruction that will help you defeat the strategies of the devil. You'll learn about Satan's attacks as the deceiver, destroyer, ruler, and accuser. And discover how to conquer the enemy by obeying God's truth. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for The Strategy of Satan. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we continue delivering God's Word one verse at a time... We're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Thanks for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace.